Good morning. How about that? If you said it, we believe it. Who said what? I'm serious. What do we believe in this morning? The word of God. Jesus is real. He is risen. What else? He's our healer. You guys went like super deep. I'm like, coffee is good. It's hot. I'm just kidding. Yours are better. Well, good morning. My name is Melody, and I am one of the pastors here at New Song. And let me tell you, I stayed out till one in the morning partying last night, and I am not 25 anymore. I'm really sad about that today. So let's talk about things that make me happy. How about that? You guys make me happy. Yeah? You guys make me happy. Coffee makes me happy. Jesus makes me happy, guys. Well, anyway, welcome this morning. If you are just visiting us today or checking us out or whatever it is, we would love for you to fill out a Connect card that should be in the seat back pocket in front of you. Um, If you have a prayer request, like, please, Lord, convince Melody to not party until one in the morning anymore. I mean, write that down, okay? Steven's here today. Yay! Um, So uh, if you just want to say hello, whatever it is, these cards communicate to us. On Sunday, it's sometimes hard to have one-on-one conversations because there's so many people and so many things happening, as you will see today. But please write down something on these cards for prayer or a connection. Let us know how to contact you. So a couple things. A couple of very uh, important business announcements is that today is our annual meeting right after church, and you are all welcome to stay and uh, hear and see and be a part of the things that um, I'm going to share, Grant's going to share, Chris is going to share. You're going to hear all about ministries happening. You're going to hear all about the amazing things that sometimes we don't have time to go into on a Sunday morning when you're in a position such as myself right now, right? Um, We have very limited time, so why don't you just stay after church for a little bit. We'll have some lunch for those who stay And we just want to share some information together. How about that? Yeah? Stay? Lunch sounds good. There'll still be coffee. Someone will have to sit next to me and pinch me the whole time. Okay? Just kidding. Don't do that, anybody. That'll that'll hurt my feelings. Um, Okay, tomorrow, women, we have a hangout at Glendora Marketplace at 6.30 to 8. Not 1 a.m. till 8 p.m. 6.30 to 8. And it's just come hang out Grab a boba, grab a cup of tea, grab uh, whatever. There's a lot of things they sell there. Um, Come or bring your own, okay? We do that a lot too. We sometimes bring our own stuff. Uh, And then next Monday, uh, not next Monday, next Sunday, the men are hanging out in the very same place at a different time, but they will be there next weekend. So, um, again, last week we talked a lot about, hey, this is the way, and that's, Something we're going to mention at our annual meeting, this is the way we are taking church outside of these buildings, outside of what is happening here just in the, you know, 90 minutes we have together. So another way we um, did that this week, and Grant and I forgot to get a picture, but um, Grant and I went over on 
Wednesday morning, super early, to San Dimas um, Lone Hill Middle School, and we took some bagels and cream cheese, and just to say, hey, thanks, teachers, keep it up, you're almost there. And so um, a really, really cool story that I shall share at the meeting, I keep pushing the meeting, can you tell? Um, is that later on, I was in line with one of the teachers from Lone Hill Middle School who took part in said bagels. So it was a very, very cool experience. So um, we did that, and then later on, that very day or the next day, I don't remember. It's all mixed up now. Um, Grant and I and Peter actually uh, went over to um, LPU where we participated in an active shooter training, which, right? Yeah. And so, but you know what was crazy is that it was for churches, all the churches in the area. And so um, it was really interesting, just people's take on things and whatnot. But we just want to mention this, and we know this might, you know, not sit so well with a lot of us. But we want to say this because we want you to know that we are keeping up on the things we need to keep up on and are trying to stay informed on the things we need to stay informed on. And we want to prepare. The biggest thing they said there is... Just have a plan, have a plan, have a plan, have a plan. And so um, we're going to be looking into further further plans. But um, just so you guys know that, um, a really cool thing that kind of made us the stars of the show, I'm not going to say that we tried, but the police chaplain that was there um, for the city of San Dimas, um, a super cool guy, he had actually had lunch with Grant earlier in the week. And so the guy kept saying, new song this and new song that. And we were like, <laughs> That's right. That's us. Uh, so it was pretty cool. Um, so anyway, so just so you know, there's just cool things happening on uh, during the week and so much that we wish we could just elaborate and share with you um, in this very limited time. But I will get called off. So I, I will get played off in a minute if I don't wrap it up. So, um, okay. I have one more Super, 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 super important announcement. But for that, I need all kiddos who are registered for camp to join me on stage as fast as possible. And I need my four helpers who are Grant, Chris, Ishmael, and Kira to come on. Come on down. Josh is leading the way. Give him a round of applause. Come on down, come on down. You come on down. Go all the way to the end. Very good. Look at these happy faces. Some of these faces were partying with me till one in the morning last night, so you'll pick out who my four kids are in a moment. Do y'all fit? Scoot down a little more, a little more. Squeeze. Okay, hold on, hold on. Look at all these faces, look at all these faces. What a good looking group of kids, yeah? Look at these guys. I would like to tell you something. These, I think it's 15 or 16 kids are registered to go to camp 2023 in July. Give them a round of applause. Now, if you could look at these kids, they look prepared, right? But I think they need a little help. Let's prepare them for camp. I have some helpers here. You look like you need a sleeping bag. You look like you need a floaty. You need a hat more floaties, we have some towels. Let's get them ready for camp. Goggles, what else? Another towel, oh, a camp light, that's very important. 
Super important, super important. More towels. What else, what else? Okay, okay. Do they look prepared? Do they look prepared? Oh, but they're missing the most important thing. Hold on. What's the most important thing? Kira has one over here. Do you have two folders? Can I have one? You need the most important thing. Give them the most important thing they're going to take to camp. You can't leave for camp without it. Don't, don't turn, don't show the crowd yet. Don't show the crowd. Don't show the crowd. Don't turn it around. If you turn it around, you're not going to camp. Does everyone have one? Does everyone have one? Almost, okay, we'll share. I have twins, they can share theirs. Okay, ready? Show everyone what you need to take to camp. You can't leave home without it. Now everyone's gonna feel fabulous and you're ready to go. You need a little comfort. There's the face you look to, okay? All right, now actually, we might collect these because I don't want to see defaced pictures of Melody all over campus. But um, I do have something to share with you guys. I have something really important. Let me tell you guys something. Every one of these fabulous faces that you see here wants to go to camp, wants to go and we want to send them, but we need your help to send them to camp. Camp is very, very pricey. Camp is about $460 a piece for a week of fun and games and lodging and all of this stuff. So, I mean, if you quickly do the numbers, it's about $9,000. Here's the thing, you guys. These are your kids, yes? These are your kids. These guys, these guys serve in the pantry, in the garden. They serve just about everywhere with student ministries, doing so many things. Each one of these kids serves somewhere. They know that this is their church. So they know that they have to take care of their church. They're a part of this. They're a part of this community. We wanna take care of them, yes? And wouldn't you love to see all the most ridiculous pictures of them at camp? And I have a bonus. I'm pretty sure Grant is going to camp with them. Don't you wanna send Grant to camp? He's ready, he's ready. <laughs> so here's what I have to say, here's what I have to say, starting as soon as next week, we are gonna do fundraiser after fundraiser after fundraiser. We're hoping to do at, at least six. We would love to send all these kids to camp. We would love to send all of them with as much scholarship as possible, yes? So let's do that together, yes? So starting next week, come prepared. Get that stack of cash out because we're gonna do all sorts of things. We're gonna have pizza sales. We're gonna have bake sales. We're looking into a car wash. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. So please, 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 let's partner together and let's send all these kids to camp, yeah? I think this is the biggest group we've had in several, several years, and I'm so excited that you guys are all going to camp. I'm even more excited that my four kids are up here, and I'm not the one that has to go to camp. Grant's the one that has to go to camp. So let's give them a round of applause, and let's promise, 
I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and pray right now for our service and I'm gonna pray over our children and over our fundraising efforts. Will you join me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the uh, just every single person in this room. Thank you that we are able to just laugh and um, partner together and see and hear all the things that are happening inside of these walls, outside of these walls, across the street at the high school, the middle school, um, San Dimas Retirement Center, the Charter Oak community, Lord. Lord, every which way a new song is connected to this community. God, I praise you for that today. God, thank you so much for each one of these children, Lord. May we send each one of them with just as much, much, much money as we possibly can, Lord. Lord, would you be with our efforts as we do that? Would you send, just send your provision? Lord, would you watch over us as we do these fundraisers? Would you make them smooth? Would you bless each one of these children's efforts? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to even be able to send our kids to camp, Lord. Lord, so many children don't even have that. God, and we are aware and we know, Lord, and we celebrate the fact that we can do that for our kids here today. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be with the rest of this service today, the rest of our gathering. Lord, I ask that you would um, bless Grant, bless the words that come out of his mouth. Thank you for um, just the inspiration that you have given him this morning. Lord, be with us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, kiddos, go that way. If you, if you are going to... If you're going to frame my photo, you can keep it, but if you're not going to, you can just turn it into the boxes over there. No, that's mine. My kids are like the first one to put the photo back. They're like, we see that face every day. All right. Yeah? All right. There we go. <laughs> I've changed your mind about camp. No. No, it's been, it's been wonderful. Um, I've been doing student ministries with these kids for a number of weeks now, and it's always interesting, uh, and just some incredible young folks we have in our church. They ask amazing questions. They're thinking deeply about, about their lives. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity. You know, these, these kids are the future of, you know, God's church, God's people, and they are precious to us. Uh, we're uh, going to continue this morning uh, with our sermons in the series, series of Hebrews in that New Testament book. It's, we're calling it Pressing On. Um, it's really uh, true, I think, that without an intentional pressing on, it's not just that we stay still, but I think we kind of creep back. You know, there's kind of a gravity about our spiritual lives that we can get, we can get stuck, uh, we can start to get weary. Uh, and this letter is really a sermon uh, to a group of Christians in the early time of the church who were struggling. Uh, we don't know exactly all the details of what was going on, but they were weary. They were tired. Uh, they may be facing persecution, just starting to more and more be a, to kind of stand out differently in the community. That was causing them some problems. And, and the writer, every word is, is filled with passion for them and love. And not only that, but hopefulness. One of the most hopeful letters in the New Testament uh, and for those of you who've been part of this uh, series so far, he, he also goes pretty deep. Uh, there's been some challenging sections. Melody's got uh, Melchizedek next week, so, but she's been sharing what, she's, what she's, God's been giving her, and I'm super excited for that. 
Um, but before, we're going to get a little mention of Melchizedek this week, but uh, it's about promises today. It's a song that Ben introduced, uh, God is a promise-making God. Uh, and in chapter 6, yeah, this is what we're going to hear about. So let's uh, listen. You can f- read the words on the screen uh, or your Bible if you have one. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. When God gave Abraham his promise, he swore by himself. Since he couldn't swear by anyone greater, he said, I will certainly bless you and multiply your descendants. So Abraham obtained the promise by showing patience. People pledge by something greater than themselves. A solemn pledge guarantees what they say and shuts down any argument. When God wanted to further demonstrate to the heirs of the promise that his purpose doesn't change, he guaranteed it with a solemn pledge. So these are two things that don't change because it's impossible for God to lie. He did this so that we who have taken refuge in him can be encouraged to grasp the hope that is lying in front of us. This hope, which is a safe and secure anchor for our whole being, enters the sanctuary behind the curtain. That's where Jesus went in advance and entered for us, since he became a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So a lot of words and synonyms for promise, pledge. Uh, when was the last time you made some kind of promise or commitment? Can you remember? Did you make any promises this week to anyone? Or a promise even perhaps to yourself? Perhaps a promise to God? When was the last time you, for whatever reason, had to break a promise or failed to follow through on a commitment? It's very human, isn't it? Promise keeping has fallen on hard times, it seems. I think there were generations for whom being a man of your word was considered to be the highest virtue and integrity was fairly much a given for many people in our society. But there's been a lot of things that have eroded that confidence and that trust in what it means to make and keep promises. The world of advertising makes all kinds of promises to us every day in the hopes that we will believe it enough that they're gonna make all our wildest dreams come true and we will buy their product for the hope of maybe doing so. I think we've all experienced though, um, when you buy the as seen on TV thing, an impulse buy and it just looks so good, it's gonna solve so many problems. And discovered that the, the joy of low cost is quickly followed by the disappointment of poor quality. And um, our politicians seem to make promises that they often can't keep. I'm not sure often they even intend to keep, but you know, a, a person will say a lot of things to get our votes. You know, our entire system of law, if you think about it, is kind of there to try and ensure that people keep their promises, whether it's in a marriage or whether it's a, the guarantee on some kind of product. People sue people because of a broken promise, and the law is in many ways there to make people keep the promises that they have made and the commitments they have made. But we find it hard to keep our promises. It is very human to break them and fail in commitments. We're so busy and overextended uh, that we often find ourselves making promises that it's almost impossible to fulfill. And even the most sincere human promise, I can be as sincere as possible, can be uh, meet unexpected circumstances. For example, I can promise to meet with someone in a week's time and an illness or some other incident can prevent me from doing so. And the promise is broken. 
we have this uh, slogan um, at New Song, which actually was introduced to me by, by Electra and Justin Allen. And I love it. I have it on the wall of my office. I think it's so important. And it's this, under promise, over deliver. I love that. But as much as I love it, sadly, I have often failed to measure up to this hopeful slogan. I have often overpromised and underdelivered. But God's promises are not like that. As is the case with everything about God, we can see glimpses of what God is like in our human lives. We're made in his image, but he is so completely other than us. And when it comes to promises, God's promises are not like human promises. Even the fact that of they cannot be contingent upon circumstances or events since God is sovereign over all circumstances and events. There was a, a man with too much time on his hands who calculated how many promises there are in the Bible that God made to human beings. And there are apparently 7,487 promises throughout the Bible. That kind of tells you that perhaps promise-making and God's word are synonymous the entire thing could be seen somehow as a promise, a promise to people. So the writer of Hebrews focuses on a particular promise made to a particular person a long time ago, and his name was Abram, who became Abraham. And it's in Genesis chapter 12, it says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your land, your family, and your father's household for the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and will bless you. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. This is a promise, one promise, a long, long, long time ago. Why is this so important to the author? Why is it so important to us? And what place does this promise-keeping God have in our daily lives? Well, the first thing is this. God's promise-making and his promise-keeping reveals God's character. God's promise-making and keeping reveals his character. Can you think about a person you know who keeps promises? Someone who will always seems to come through in a commitment. If they promise to do something, you know that their word is true and they will do it. I, I have someone who comes to mind, our dear brother Ed Mahood, who is now in the presence of Jesus. Sally passed away. Uh, at his memorial service, one of the most repeated statements and comments during the sharing time about Ed was he was a man of integrity, a man who kept his word. When God wanted people to know what he was like, he made promises. When God wanted people to know what he was like, he made promises to them. So for Abraham... Chapter, verse, uh, verse 13, 16, 18 said, when God gave Abraham a promise, he swore by himself since he couldn't swear by anyone greater. People pledge by something greater than themselves. It is impossible for God to lie. The promise reveals something about God's character and the subsequent activities and things that happen from out of that promise to fulfill it again show the character of God. And not just for Abraham, but for all who came in Abraham's line. The writer goes on to say, when God wanted to further demonstrate to the heirs of the promise, that's who came afterwards, that his purpose doesn't change. He guaranteed it with a solemn pledge. God makes promises to demonstrate his character. God cannot lie, 
God's purposes are unchanging. There is no higher power. Every human virtue that we observe, when we say that's a man of integrity, we say that man always keeps his word, that woman is always what she says she will do. Their yes is yes and their no is no. This quality finds its perfect measure in the character of God. So promise keeping displays God's character, but promise keeping is also, it's the bedrock of love. God's promise making and keeping creates and sustains relationships. God's promise making and keeping is what sustains our relationship with him. Back in 2010, I did a wedding vow renewal ceremony. Has anyone ever renewed their vows, wedding vows? Anyone ever done that? At some point in time, you thought, Maybe this will fix things. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> There's usually, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's just, you know, whatever it is. But the one I did in 2010 was a really meaningful, painful, but beautiful ceremony. And it was a very small ceremony. We were in the grounds of the house that this couple were building together. Uh, we had dogs running around our ankles. It was chaos. A few friends gathered among the trees and the flowers. And and amazingly, they still had the original script from their wedding 25 years previously, and they gave it to me. And so I included it, and I read this, these words. From this day onward, you must come closer together than ever before. You must love one another in sickness and in health for better and for worse. And 25 years previously, they said, I will commit to this. I do. And then again, they committed themselves to this. Well, one of the reasons why they wanted to renew their vows at that time was because they had lost their son five years previously in a tragic accident. And, it, and they had persevered in their commitment to the promise that they made 25 years ago, despite the, the tremendous pressure that that event had put on their relationship. Their Relationship was created by a promise and it was sustained by a promise. Just like God, God's promise making and keeping creates and sustains his relationship with us. You know, all of our relational help, health is built on trust. It is the bedrock of trust. It's bedrock of our health as relationships. Life is built upon commitments, paying debts, keeping appointments, coming through in commitments and caring for those who depend on us to be consistent. This is what relationship is all about. It's about promise, commitment. So God made the initial promise to Abraham. He established a relationship by doing so. Go to this land and I will make you into a great nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. And then later God reaffirmed this promise by making a pledge to Abraham. What I said, what I promised I pledge that it will take place. You know what's interesting about that? Did God need to promise Abraham? Did God need to make a pledge? No, Abraham needed God to make a promise. Abraham needed God to make a pledge. That was for the human beings. God's promises sustain the relationship. God doesn't need to make the promise, but we need to hear it. We need to know that this is how this relationship is, that he promises. He's a promise maker, a promise keeper, and we can trust him. God's promise-making and God's promise-keeping created a family, much the same as the gathering in this room. The kingdom of God is held together by commitment, and it all is sourced from the original promise-making 
member of this community, which is God. But keeping promises isn't always easy, is it? It involves sacrifice often, doesn't it? The simplest version is when you promise to go out and have dinner with some people or something like that, and then you get to that evening, you're wiped out, you're tired, you're exhausted, and you're like, I don't want to go. That's like the most, you know, privileged version of, you know, suffering for making a promise. I don't want to go, Rana. I'm tired. So that's a, a very trivial one, but... God's promise making and keeping was extremely costly. For God to make these promises and for God to come through on his promises was extremely costly. Hebrews chapter 6, 1920 says, this hope which is a safe and secure anchor for our whole being enters the sanctuary behind the curtain. And that is a picture of the Old Testament tabernacle when the children of Israel were wandering in the desert And then later on when they had a temple and there was the Holy of Holies, which is a place where no one could enter and God's presence was meant to dwell there. And once a year, the high priest would go in and make atonement for the sins of the people. And it was an awesome and terrifying task. I've heard some people say that there was a rope tied around his waist. In case he died in there, they could pull him back out. It was a really awesome thing to do. But what Christ has done is he has gone in there on our behalf, it tells us. He is made away. When Jesus breathed his last, he gave up his life. It says the curtain of the temple tore in two. The way was opened. So this, where, that's where Jesus went in advance and entered for us. Is a small series of words that sound kind of maybe like a wee stroll in the park on a Sunday afternoon. But that small series of words represents the sacrifice that God made in Christ in order that he might keep every promise to Abraham and every other promise that he ever made. Keeping the promise cost God everything. God's promise making and God's promise keeping was costly. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What he promises he will do, what he promised he has done there's a preacher from a long time ago in England called C.H. Spurgeon. Some of you guys might have heard of him. He was apparently a really, really powerful preacher in London. Actually, he struggled with incredible bouts of depression. Um, there's a really good book about depression based on some of his writings. You know, this, this incredible man of God, but he really was so human. And I, I, I'm grateful that he wrote these things down. Um, but he wrote a book called Faith's Checkbook. Has anyone ever read? It's a little devotional. It's called Faith's checkbook. Um, And the idea being that it's all full of promises. Promises, and he says, you can take this to the bank. You can take this to the bank. You know, here's the thing. Every time we live, we decide to live, we choose to live, we step into living according to any promise from God, we rely upon the incalculable value of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Every check that you take is a priceless testimony to the costliness of that which makes God's promises accessible and and real for us. And he, because he signs off on them. Every promise, Paul says in Corinthians, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. But it wasn't just simply an easy thing 
It costs God everything. God's love for you cost him everything. God's love for you cost him everything. And the same promise that Abraham was made to Abraham is also available to us. This passage tells us this pretty clearly. It says that Abraham obtained the promise by showing patience. Abraham obtained the promise. Then he says in verse 18, God did this so that we who have taken refuge in him can be encouraged to grasp the hope that is lying in front of us. Abraham obtained the promise and we can be encouraged to grasp the hope that is lying in front of us. The whole story of redemption from the beginning to the end is ours to claim, to grasp, to take hold of, just as Abraham did. From the very beginning, the promise in the very early part when things came unraveled, however we understand the whole story of the garden and the serpent, the basic point is that sin entered into God's world. Something dreadful happened. But even in that very beginning part when God addresses this serpent, this devil, this evil, this tempter, this liar, He says right at the beginning, I will put enmity between you, devil, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Right there in the beginning, the seeds are sown that this serpent's head will be crushed. There's a promise. And then on and on into different people making promises, God making promises, keeping promises. I will make of you a great nation and will bless you. The families of the earth will be blessed because of you. And then through the prophets, all these prophets spoke on God's behalf to tell the people that there yet was still hope. Regard, despite their rebellion and their sin and their false worship and their God constantly going astray, the prophets kept reminding them of the promises that God had made that he will keep. Isaiah says, this is what the Lord says, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. In the day of salvation, I will help you. No matter how wrong the people went, God always came back with a reminder that his promises were certain and sure and they could trust in them. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, for everything that was taught in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope. So we have have the word, which is synonymous with his promises. It reveals God's character. It sustains, creates and sustains a relationship and it cost him everything to keep. The very beginning of Hebrews, we heard the very first words of this book we've been studying for a while now. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, the ultimate promise maker, the one who said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many of us have claimed that one? Today, yesterday, this week, this month? Come to me. That reveals God's character. That creates and sustains a relationship. And for that to be true, it costs him everything. There's been millennia of God's promise keeping, promise making and promise keeping. And It tells us that Abraham, as kind of an example of how to respond to this promise keeping, obtained 
the promise by showing patience. How many of us feel like that might not be the route to getting it for us? Anyone else admit to being impatient and not perfect? Aaron, you want to come up and talk about it? You know, that, that's, that's tricky. The Bible sometimes does this. It kind of sets forth something you think like, that's not like me. I can't identify with that. But here's the thing. We can look at Abraham's life and we can see that he was just as impatient and mixed up in the good and the bad as any rest of us. So it can't be dependent upon God's promise keeping, making and keeping cannot be dependent upon Abraham's good conduct or his perfect patience. So what does it mean that he obtained it by showing patience? Well, he did succeed at doing some things. He did leave his country when God told him to, which was a scary thing to do. God said to you this evening, this afternoon, leave your family and your home and go to this land I will show you. I'll tell you when you get there, go. That's a big deal. He was actually willing to sacrifice his only son at some point. He was said, take your son. And, and he's like, well, I trust in God's promises that this son is going to bless the whole world. And so God's obviously got a plan for this. But he also failed. He went into Egypt for a while. And he lied about Sarah being his wife and said it's his sister. He actually got tired of waiting for a child. He got the promise one day. And he's an old man. And his wife's a very old lady. And say, you're going to have a child going to bless the whole world through this child. And Abraham's like, no, I'm not. That's impossible. And he's like, well, God's taking a long time to figure this thing out, so I'm going to help him. So he had relations with his wife's servant, Hagar, who merely messed up. That actually created some terrible war and hostile cruelty, bad stuff in the family. So what does it mean? Well, it means that God's promises are not stopped by Abraham's failures. And what it must mean to obtain the promise by showing patience is that as Abraham trusted, he experienced the blessing of these promises. God's promises didn't change. God's promises weren't going to be shifted by Abraham's good or bad but Abraham enjoyed the fruits. The word uh, talking about obtaining, it can also mean like hitting the mark or, or lighting upon or falling in line with. That's what Abraham did. So God's promises are not stopped by our failures to perfectly trust in them. They are, they're based on his character. They are based on the relationship that he has with us. And they are most definitely based on the incredible cost that it was to him to keep his promises to us. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And we're going to try and get really practical here. Because we are human beings and we, we are not that dissimilar from the people to whom this is written in the beginning. It's remarkable through all the technology and all the things that we, what has changed in our, in our society, in our culture, we're still very much like the people to whom the Bible is written. And that is a good thing. And so chapter 6, verse 18 and 19, the writer says, he did this, this promise-making, so that we who have taken refuge in can be encouraged to grasp the hope that is lying in front of us. Grasp the hope. This hope which is a safe and secure anchor for our whole being. Anchor and anchor. Do you remember when we were worshiping outside on the lawn during the pandemic time and 
I, I, I had a whole bunch of anchors. Does anyone still have their little anchor? Yeah, I've got mine. Little anchor just to remind us. Um, so what's that, what's that, what is, in what way is it an anchor? You know, I'm blessed to have uh, spent most of my life living close to the ocean. And also, as many of you know, to be the son of a sea captain. Arr. <laughs> yeah, my dad, Norman, is a, is a bona fide captain. Um, and so these nautical metaphors, like, they always like, spring into all kinds of thoughts for me. Well, the first thing is, it's obviously called an anchor because what are anchors for? It is a, a very obvious recognition that life is stormy, that the seas are wild, that we tend to drift, and there are many, many forces, whether wind or tides, that drift us and cause us to move within us, without us. So this anchor, I remember, I talk about Orcas Island a lot because I lived it for 10 years, okay? I love this place much more. Orcas Island is dead to me. So Orcas Island, if you're listening, if you're listening, it's not really dead to me, but we got our budget meeting today and I really want to curry favor with these people. You understand, right? Um, but we lived a total blessing. You know, sometimes, you know, you think, you say, God, I'll go where you send me, and you kind of always assume it's going to be somewhere just like really tough, like Southern California. But sometimes it's an island paradise, and Orcas Island was a paradise. And, and not just that, but we rented this house, which was, you couldn't build one there now, but because it was an old, you know, footprint was grandfathered in, you could, I could like spit into the ocean pretty much from this house. And it was like a 180 degree view of, of the north of Canada. But we would get these storms from the northeast, and they were the worst storms I've ever seen, brutal. Our deck would be covered in ice, frozen seawater, incredible. Um, but there was a, a ship that would often come in, I think it must be a, on a seasonal trip, and it would anchor right across from our front living room. And it was always somehow comforting to see this ship out there with all of its lights in this raging storm. And, and it was safe. It was in the lee of the island so that the, the wind wasn't getting it quite so much and it was anchored to the ground. And just think about it. That, that tiny part of machinery, that, that anchor that was hanging down uh, was holding that ship in position in the midst of all of the storms. The entire crew and the contents and, the, and all of the valuable things were being held by this one anchor that was connected to the, to the ocean floor. And all these people were putting their trust in that. This is what the author wants us to understand, that no matter what happens, God's character is such that his promises are sure and steadfast, even when we can't see it, even when we don't feel it. That's the one thing he wants them to understand. The whole preamble to this time has been saying, Jesus is sufficient. He has done this for us. Don't despair. Don't give up. The second thing it makes you think of is my, my dad. He was a pilot on the river because we had kids and he was kind of tired of going off to sea and he felt he needed to be home for us. And, and he, told, he would tell me about how the piloting worked. And I went out on the boat a couple of times with him. He would actually be on the boat from shore, go out and meet uh, this giant, huge, expensive ship uh, at the estuary at the, on the North, in the North Sea. And then he would climb up the rope ladder, seriously, like hope, putting a pothole and stuff, and climb on there, and he'd, take, he'd become captain of the ship to go through the estuary and to dock the ship. All kinds of conditions, all kinds of weathers. All, it's a really, uh, tides are crazy in that place. But he would tell me that what he would do is he would navigate by the lights that had been placed 
all the way up the channel on the shore and various other places. He said, it doesn't matter what you think you see. It doesn't matter what you think's happening. You just make sure that you're lining up on these lights and you will get safely to port. And the same on the other way out. And he never had an accident. He navigated by the reliability of these lights. And that's what we are being called to do. To remind ourselves that the bedrock of creation is a God who makes promises and cannot break them. And it's not about our ability to be superhuman, faith, the most faith-filled people. It's about him. That's what makes it possible for you to get up in the morning and say, God, I trust in you today. Help me to trust in you today. There's an old song. We don't sing a lot of old hymns and things. And that's cool because, you know, things change, culture changes. Um, But there's one that just instantly came to mind, and it's called Standing on the Promises of God. Who knows that song? Standing, not just Melody can sing. Standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God, right? But here's just a close before we enter into a time of worship and, and, and communion next, actually. That one of the verses says, standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail standing on the promises of God. Amen. God is good, and we are loved. Amen. So we're going to uh, go to communion now. And once again, you know, we do communion every week because we think it's a very important thing um, for many reasons. Well, one is, um, it's kind of the pattern of the, of the early church. It's, you know, wherever they would gather, they would, they would eat together, they would worship together, but they would pray, and they pray together, but they would also take the Lord's Supper together, usually in the context of a meal. Um, but also, we discovered that it's the most amazing way to respond to anything we've heard from the Word of God. And, and today's is no exception. It says in Luke chapter 22 that Jesus took bread. He gave thanks. Why did he give thanks? <laughs> because he trusted in the promise-making, promise-keeping God who was his Father. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new what? You know, covenant. The new covenant in my blood right there, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. The covenant. So we do this to say, God, you have made this promise to me. And I don't think I really deserve it. But it's not about how much I deserve it. It's about how much you love me and have offered this to me. So I take this little cup and I take this piece of bread and I say, thank you that you keep your promises, Lord. Thank you that you keep your promises, Lord. So in your own time, you can get up and if you'd like to participate this morning, invite all those whose desire it is to follow Jesus. We might know where that's gonna lead us or how that's gonna look, but simply today, if you want to take advantage of these promises and claim them for yourself. Um, And then we will hold the elements and take them together in, in a short time.
there's a lot to be uh, learned from how we do communion. And I think one of the important things about how we typically do it is that we come forward to receive is given to us, uh, offered to us. And that is what it's all about. God gives this to us. uh, And we take it with gratitude. Um, We take this bread. And Lord Jesus, we thank you um, that you, you lived your life from out of all the promises. You fulfilled them. Uh, and there are more to come. And even, even each day, Lord, you, there's a myriad of promises that you make to us, Lord, and we want to live in the light of those. We want to experience them. And even as this bread brings some nourishment to our bodies, we pray that you would bring nourishment to our spirits. Lord, we need healing. We need to be revived. Remind us again and again that you promise never to leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Jesus. And we take this cup. For now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your great forgiveness that we can come just as we are without shame, without fear, with confidence, Lord. We pray for your joy and your hope. In Jesus' name. Let's worship our promise-making and promise-keeping God together.